Welcome, ladies and divorce professionals. You are listening to the Divorce for Wealthy Women podcast, where we dive into complex and sometimes taboo topics relating to divorce and women. Specifically, we often discuss how affluent women can maintain their lifestyles during and post-divorce. Join me as we talk to the most sought-after divorce professionals across the globe and share powerful tips that you can take along with you no matter where you are in your journey. Well, hi, AJ. It's so good to have you here today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I can. But first, Olivia, thank you so much. I feel so blessed to be able to spend some time with you and your listeners today. So I'm AJ Grossman. I'm a divorce lawyer in Orlando, Florida. I uh, own a uh, law firm called Leapfrog Divorce, and I've been practicing here in the Orlando area for over a decade now. And uh, actually, my my mom had uh, practiced uh, family law and divorce law out in Northern California in the Silicon Valley for many, many years. Um, And I love the question, why do I do what I do? Because it's so integrated with with who I am and what I do. And, And basically... I do what I do because I have a mission, and this is a personal mission, and that is to make the world a better place, one child, one family at a time, by minimizing harm and trauma to families going through a divorce. So that's why I do what I do. Ooh, minimizing trauma. I wish that you were around in my childhood when I had that nasty parents divorce. Oh, <laughs> yes. That's why I do what I do. So we are in the same boat trying to do things for the better of other people going through divorce. So, oh, I have a list of questions, a whole awesome. list of questions. So I'm going to throw them at you and we're going to get through as many as we can. Wonderful. So everyone listening, have a pen and paper, because this is going to be one of those where you want to take notes. So, okay. We're just going to go very, not in order today. We're going to kind of go sporadic and it's going to be fun. So the first question is how can you have a good co-parenting relationship with a spouse after they're divorced. Let's start with the after today, kind of different. Okay. So I love that question. So really it starts either pre-divorce or at the very beginning. And this has to do with mindset and setting a tone and having clear priorities. So let's assume, because we're, we're talking about after a divorce, let's assume that somebody has done that. They've, they've placed their children first. They, they know what their priorities are. They've engaged in very healthy, civil communication with the other parent during the divorce. And so at the end of the divorce, that that parenting relationship is still intact. In other words, neither one of them have done anything to to shred that relationship or to destroy that relationship. So there's something there that can continue. So what somebody will want to do after a divorce to maintain to maintain a good co-parenting relationship is to focus on what I said already, and that is placing the children first and your communication. 
communication is key and that is something that we all have control over how we communicate and that includes how we respond to maybe some aggressive or hostile or demeaning communications from the other co-parent so you do things for example if if you receive a a, a text message at 11 o'clock at night and it's very aggressive and nasty and harassing regarding the children then what you want to do in responding to try and maintain that co-parenting relationship and protect your own boundaries is to respond as brief as possible with as much information as necessary be as friendly as possible and be firm so if that text message doesn't ask you to respond to any questions, really, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to send a response. If no response is required, you don't have to respond. Number two, by being brief and informative and friendly, what that means is you eliminate as best as possible your your initial defensive gut reaction to protect yourself. And so you remove judgments, you remove conclusions, and you simply address the important factual bit of information in that text message. So, so to me, I think that, that the key to maintaining a co-parenting relationship, a good one, after a divorce has everything to do with communication and how you control the narrative, so to speak, as best you can. I like how you said you don't have to respond. If there's not a question, it's 11 o'clock at night. You actually don't have to respond even if there is a question at 11 o'clock at night, unless it's, of course, an emergency with your children or something that, right. that makes sense to do that. But if your emotions are high, if he's texting you something about controlling assets and not letting the kids get to do their sports activities that are coming up during the divorce process or after whatever it may be, I agree with you, just not responding. Or if it's not necessary to put a lengthy response, don't give a lengthy response. I actually have clients, since I'm just part of the money coaching side, I have clients during the divorce and post-divorce text me what they really wanna say. You know, they can write a paragraph, five paragraphs, a novel. That's okay. That's not going out in, in the world to anyone else. But then right. responding with one sentence, if necessary, maybe right. the next morning instead of 11 o'clock at night. But I like you saying that, that's helpful. Um, good, good. Yeah, let's, let's get into, okay, most clients have children. So this question I think is gonna be helpful for those who are listening, which is what can she do to protect her children from the nastiness that usually happens in divorce? Okay, great question. I love that one as well. So the first thing is, uh, kind of the serenity prayer, if you will, you know, focus on on what you can control and, and surrender to those things that you can't control. So uh, as human beings, really all we can control is ourselves, how we respond to things, how we react to things, how we approach things. And so the first lesson or the first thing to surrender to or acknowledge is that we don't have control over the other spouse, the other parent. So only having control over what we, we can do, what that means is things like keeping the children out of the conflict 
between mom and dad or dad and dad or mom and mom, whatever the situation may be, the children absolutely do not need to know, for example, that uh, mom said to dad, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, you fill in the blank. They don't need to hear it. They don't need to hear that that dad is being a jerk. They don't need to hear that, uh, you know, he's he's more or she's more interested in spending time with her boyfriend than her own children. Whatever the situation may be, the children need to be children. And what they need to know is that mom and dad or mom and mom, the parents, the parents are going to maintain the stableness that these children need. Children look to, to, to their parents as providing the stability, the support, uh, something that they can count on, uh, the roof over their head, the food on the table, transportation to school, that somebody's going to be there to support their extracurricular activities. That's what they need from each parent. They don't need to be a parent's best friend and confidant in a divorce. You know, uh, the, ch the child doesn't need to, to be placed in a situation where he or she needs to provide a shoulder to their parent to cry on or an ear that is going to listen to mom or dad express their feelings and their frustrations. Just do do absolutely everything and anything you can to 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 keep the kids out of it and almost almost create this bubble right this imaginary bubble around them and nothing about the divorce can can infiltrate that bubble mm, that's well said i think um that kind of goes along with like what can what are some tips maybe that you suggest that she can do to communicate better with a spouse if they don't see eye to eye on a lot of things especially when it involves maybe the children and what they're doing for food at the other house or vacations or the one is trying to be the best friend to the children which mm. we see that i mean that's that's completely normal so i'm glad you're bringing it up good good yeah you know um I've, I have found that better communication and learning how to communicate better is so critical, especially for people going through a divorce or really anybody in conflict. And so a lot of times what I see, and I know you see this as well, is, is parents get in this, this, this conflict where they kind of they're, they dig their heels into the ground and they say, this is my position regarding, regarding the kids. And I, you know, I think I'm the better parent. And I think that the, ch the children need to be parented in, in this way. It's my way. I'm right. You're wrong. Whereas if the parents actually approached this kind of conflict or difference of perspective and opinions regarding parenting as more of a, of a learning opportunity, Right. So I see, you know, I'm very different from my wife as a parent. I need to learn more about where she's coming from regarding her parenting so I can understand better why she's doing what she's doing. You know, even though it's different from me, it doesn't necessarily make it invalid. It just makes it different. And so I want to I want to use my energy to figure out what her perspective is so that I can maybe check my assumptions. 
You know, a lot of people assume, oh, um, they're doing this because and then fill in the blank or they intended to hurt me because that's just the kind of person they are. Whereas if you actually reach across the table, so to speak, and say, I really want to know what you think. I want you to share with me what your perspective is. That might throw those assumptions right out the window. So I, I think it's all about learning how to communicate better, especially in conflict. And we're all going to assume that this is not easy to do, but it is beneficial. It is not easy to communicate with the, the rationality behind it and, and asking what the other side is thinking instead of assuming. But man, that, that is the truth and so powerful. So um, let's go into an example of, okay, so let's just say he sends me a nasty text message and also a few emails um, and we're pretending I have a spouse that's doing this to me. What, what's the response? I mean, should I, should I not respond? What is your thoughts on, okay, looking at the other side of the table and um, no judgment? What, what do you usually mm. say to clients? So it really depends upon the dynamics, I would say, of the, of the relationship. And so um, I will assume that it's um, one of the, the the better dynamics or one of the, the the medium, you know, less high conflict dynamics. And so the two spouses are able to communicate, okay, you know, fairly civil. We're not talking about a, um, you know, an, an incredible narcissist uh, as one spouse and uh, another spouse who uh, has adopted, a, let's say, a victim type of persona, okay? So we've got two people who can communicate relatively well. If, if, I, was, if, if I was the spouse that received some nasty emails and text messages, I would respond and I would probably want to do it uh, over the phone or in person if they're still able to safely meet in person rather than doing it through a text message or, or, or a reply email and say, I got your communications and it seems like we are, are continuing to have uh, this conflict between us and I'm, I'm not, I have my own perspective. I have my own thoughts about what's going on, but rather than assuming what's going on for you, I want to invite you to have a conversation with me about this conflict so I can hear more about your perspective and where you're coming from. Is that something you can do with me is something that you would be interested in doing with me and what might be a good day and time for us to do this uh, we can meet at a restaurant we can meet at a park meet it at some place where both of us feel comfortable what do you think so i think that's a that's a, a really good response because it's not defensive it doesn't ass really assume anything, and it's actually extending an olive branch, if you will, to the other person and saying, you know, we've got something going on between us, and, and I, I want to I work with you to get to the bottom of it. Will you get in the, the canoe with me? and paddle this this stream of conflict with me so we can reach you know the end point which is a resolution i think that's a great way to start i would agree and i think you brought up a good word that is buzzing all the time in this world of divorce so let's talk about narcissism and mm -hmm. what should she do in a divorce if she believes that her spouse is a narcissist let's go there 
Okay, so yes, very popular topic of conversation these days. So my best advice is to uh, <laughs> run the other way, so to speak. So what the non-narcissist spouse needs to do is set herself up or himself up with as many protections and boundaries as possible and to engage in as little communication as possible, only what is absolutely necessary. Because the, the biggest problem with having to deal with a, a narcissist spouse is that the narcissist will never, never give you validation, will never acknowledge your perspective, your thoughts, your feelings, will never let you know, hey, you're right, that's a good point. Their world revolves around them. They are perfect in themselves, in their world, and they can do no wrong. And this really comes from a tremendous lack of self-confidence and lack of self-esteem. And so that non-narcissist spouse should know they're not going to be able to, number one, change them. They're not going to be able to convince them to become the spouse they wish they were. They, that that non-narcissist spouse really needs to protect himself or herself as much as possible. And that might include surrounding oneself with as many uh, professionals as possible. So maybe a, a mental health professional, a financial professional, maybe a life coach professional, find an attorney who is knowledgeable and experienced in dealing with divorces with narcissists. You know, we, we have a tendency to think of ourselves in, as islands. Oh, I need to figure out how to do this, or I need to read up on this and educate myself about this. There are tons of professionals out there who can help do that and know it better and can be more effective. So, so protect and communicate as little as possible. Okay. That's good. Good words there of wisdom. I have another one that's totally different than the last question, which is what's going to happen just figuratively, just give me a maybe synopsis of what's going to happen to the financial future of someone who was in a lucrative career, but then stayed home to raise the children for about 15, 20 years. Oh, I see this so often. Okay. So the, the reality is that, uh, at least in Florida, where I'm licensed to practice, that there is um, a, a factor that our judges consider when it comes to uh, the, the, the division of assets, the division of debts and alimony. One of those factors that they consider is contributions to a marriage. So a spouse who had a very lucrative career, um, was, um, you know, a high dollar professional that gave up that career to stay home and, and raise the kids for, you know, 18 years or, or, or longer, depending upon how many children and their age ranges, that person is faced with a practical reality that they have been out of the workforce for a long time. And technology has changed, industries have changed, and so they may be looking at a situation where if, if they can actually 
go back into the workforce, they may need to get some, some additional education, some additional training. They, they, they're going to need time to start uh, building up a network again, a network of professionals who can help them make connections so that they can get into the industry they need to get into or re-enter an industry they were in before. Um, and they're going to they're going to need time and they're going to need some financial support in order to do that. And, and the good thing in Florida is that um, the, the spouse who left the lucrative career and stayed home to raise the kids will get credit, so to speak, for contributing to the marriage by staying home and raising the children so that theoretically or factually that other spouse was able to continue to work to develop his or her career and would not have been able to do that, but for the fact that they had a spouse who was willing to give up a career and stay at home with the kids. Mm, yep. I think there's there's a few other questions that I can go and, and discuss about investments and picking stocks, managing them, um, and, and businesses. So I think the last one I'm going to ask is on the business because when working with ultra high net worth families, Oftentimes there's multiple businesses going on and those assets in a divorce. What are your thoughts on if it's real estate or just multiple businesses in general, family businesses, and um, she's enjoying those assets personally, what happens in a divorce when you deal with those assets? Oh, great question. So it, it really depends. And I know that's a typical lawyer answer, but in this case, it, it really does depend. So for example, you can have a situation where uh, a, a family has, let's say five or six corporations and um, all of the, the assets in, in each one of those corporations is owned by the corporation. Okay, and so those those assets uh, are, are there's no ownership interest by uh, either of the spouses. And so the spouse who's going through a divorce who's not real involved with the corporations needs to number one find a lawyer who is experienced and knowledgeable about dealing with corporations in a divorce because at least here in Florida, if a spouse wants to um, get at the assets owned by a corporation, the first thing they need to know is they need to actually name each and every corporation as a party to the divorce. If they don't do that, they cannot get at the assets of the corporation. So that's, that's tip number one. Tip number two is if, if those corporations were started during the marriage, whether whether the, the spouse who's not very involved um, did anything with the corporations or simply sat back as a passive advisor and let the other spouse run the corporations, manage the corporations, handle all the day-to-day the -day affairs, whether they were involved or not, they still have an ownership interest in the value of each and every corporation. And in Florida, that's 50%. So if one of the corporations is valued at $20 million, the spouse who was not involved in running that corporation has a $10 million ownership interest in that corporation. And so I, I talk with a lot of people who say, and, and it's men and women, 
you know, I started this corporation. It was my brainchild. It was my baby. I did everything to start it and grow it. It's my blood, sweat, and tears in this corporation. And my spouse did nothing. In Florida, it doesn't matter. It's a marital asset that needs to be fairly divided between the two of you. Mm, this is something that I think is going to have people thinking long and hard and may have to listen to this episode again because there's a lot of pieces and moving parts. And I really mm. want to thank you for your time. I know that you protect the interests of those who want amicable resolutions and divorce. So this is just a great synopsis of what you do day to day. So thanks. Oh, thank you, Olivia. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining another episode with me, your host, Olivia Summerhill. Until the next episode, visit www.summerhillfirm.com for a discreet way to find helpful resources that can help bring you clarity to your divorce journey.